This episode of Gen C is sponsored by Chainalysis. Welcome to Gen C. Gen C is Generation Crypto. These are the people who were raised on a different philosophy on how they look at money, how they look at identity, how they look at privacy, and how they reimagine their relationships with the communities and companies they interact with. We focus on how Web2 and Web3 brands are building for these audiences. I'm Sam Ewan from Coindesk, and our co-host is Avery Akinini from Vayner3. Avery, where in the world are you? Because I have a feeling you are in the Midwest about to do something big. You know it, Sam. Indianapolis, the home of VCon 2023. The city has started buzzing with all things VCon. The VCon team also did an incredible job getting signage at the airport, which is a really nice touch this year. Fantastic. Well, good luck on all of that. I know when this comes out, VCon will have already been a success. So we will talk about it soon. But I look forward to seeing everything happening on the crypto Twitters and in our Telegram groups as always. But first, let's talk about what's been happening this week. You and I have had an interesting conversation about pudgy things. Pudgy penguins are coming to retail. And I think you are super jazzed about this. And I want to know why. Can you tell us, one, what pudgy penguins are for anyone who doesn't know? And two, what LucaNet said, who's bought the IP for Pudgy Penguins that got you so excited about the new opportunity. Yes, absolutely. I know I shared this with you earlier because I was really impressed by Luca's articulation of what he's doing with Pudgy Toys. And they've done some stuff with toys in the past, but this seems like a whole new dimension. And, you know, he popped on a Twitter space today and I honestly have not had time recently to be on Twitter, but I was tuning in because there's this incredible woman from V Friends called May who was speaking and I wanted to support her. So I popped on and she was wrapping up and Luca hopped on to talk about what he was building with Pudgy Penguins. And this new toy collection, which is actually coming out on May 18th, has two parts that really got me interested. First is he's actually licensing it from the holders. So if you had Pudgy Penguin number 139, you actually benefit from that from a licensing perspective, which has been a theoretical use case that many, many, many NFT projects have talked about and I have not seen really take off. So he actually is making that happen, which is impressive. And what also really impressed me was his strategy around galvanizing his super leaned in Web3 community to jumpstart the Amazon algorithm. One thing I see coming in the very near future is a move away from brands thinking of Web3 as a standalone initiative, doing that horrible backwards three thing instead of an E, like that, oh, I'm going to do something that's targeted to NFT community. That's over. The new move is integration and integrating your Web3 strategy into your sort of core marketing mix. And Luca is a great example of someone who is at least speaking about doing this by launching his toys first on Amazon. And he spoke about leveraging the pudgy fam to actually buy from Amazon, jumpstarting their algorithm, which is how Amazon sort of optimizes how most people see what they see on Amazon, and then sort of having that machine continue building. There's a whole strategy around Amazon FBA and reviews and all of that. And Luca comes from a world where he's done a lot in the e-commerce space. So he's going to use his hyper-engaged community to get that flywheel started. And then I'm sure he'll follow all those best practices. And then he also shared this multi-layered product strategy that I thought was really cool. There's going to be masks available on Amazon and subsequently at big box retail. And then there's going to be this really high-end collectible for more of the collector audience, which will be sold separately at a higher price point. And 
All of this comes in some amazing box, apparently, that also gives you a Polygon NFT. He was sharing some information about a birth certificate, which I need to learn a little bit more about to better understand my perspective. But I just thought it was a really multi-layered strategic approach that taps into appealing to his existing holders and also growing the pie, which is ultimately a good thing for everyone. So I think a lot of times people in the world of NFT communities, of which Pudgy Penguins is one, you know, think it's like an or or a competition or it's, you know, X versus Y. And to me, like the opportunity is expansive. And I love cheering on, you know, Web3 native brands who are trailblazing and doing different things. It was the first time in months I felt genuinely impressed by something that a Web3 native brand was doing. No, and I think that what you're talking about and now that you framed it like that makes a lot more sense. I think that the idea of someone who, you know, Frank D. Gods, for example, really understands the social algorithm and plays that game super well. It sounds like Luke Annette's really gets the e-commerce one and is trying to play that game. So we are looking at people who understand modern media and marketing, basically, and how to game those, but really on behalf of larger communities, which I do think is a pretty special thing. There's two things that I was salty about. One was when Pudgy Penguins came out, there was some other collection called like Fat Feathered Friends or something like that. And I bought the wrong collection. So that's really why I'm salty is because I didn't get a Pudgy Penguin when it came out. And two was the other side of it, which is just an Amazon problem, which is, you know, you search Pudgy Penguins on Amazon and you get all these products that look a little subpar quality wise. And I didn't know if those were also part of this ecosystem. So the ones that I was looking at, I was like, this kind of feels like a carnival prize. It doesn't feel like something that has value. And I think that was one of the challenges, you know, that I wasn't looking at the right product, which was just, frankly, today's version of Amazon search, right? Like that was the problem. But Sam, we saw the same thing happen with NFTs or a scam t-shirts. Remember, we talked about that last week too. So last week we had Bobby on, somebody searches his t-shirts on Amazon and they bought the fake ones. That is an Amazon problem. That is an Amazon problem, not a Web3 problem. All right. Also, Avery, .swoosh's drop happened this week. So they had a little bit of technical issues in the first day. It looks like that's all been smoothed out. I was able to claim my, my box. I don't know if you had a poster in order to get yours. Hopefully you did. I know when our producer also had to rep to me that she claimed it before I did. Did you get a dot swoosh box? And are you excited about this? What's your take on how they did it? Yeah, I haven't had a chance to claim mine yet. I do think I got a poster. So I need to do that. I've been slammed with VCon prep. And you have like six hours left, by the way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And a bunch of things going on. I will get it when I tried to log on, the site was down. So, you know, that is one problem that continues to plague even the like very leaders of this space. Web3 is hard. Apparently websites are also hard when integrated with Web3. So I'm cheering on the Nike fam for sure, though. I really applaud their strategy and their continued commitment to building in this world. Yeah, absolutely. Final question I have for you before we get to our guest that I want you to introduce for us is, I know we've talked about AI a million times. Really interesting story this week about a Snapchat influencer that created an AI virtual girlfriend that you could basically buy for a dollar a minute. And of course, like every great AI, it goes rogue and it starts getting hypersexual. And I just wonder your thoughts on, and I think about this through the lens of I already know people who are working on projects where the NFT gets you an AI companion. How do we keep this stuff from going completely rogue in your opinion? I think the genie is out of the bottle with AI. It will go completely rogue. Yes, you can condition it. You can add parameters. And we're actually doing a lot of that with some of our partners right now, which is fun and interesting. I think, you know, AI can be terrifying the more you learn about it, but it can also open up just so many incredible possibilities from an efficiency standpoint, a knowledge standpoint, a creative standpoint. 
I mean, sex has been an early adopter for technology so many times over. So of course this happened. It didn't happen with NFTs as anyone who's ever been to an NFT conference could tell you, but it is absolutely happening in AI. And there's actually a company called Replica we've been following for the last few years. And, you know, you can kind of customize your companion, which can be a friend, it can be a parent, it can be someone who's interested in a hobby that you're interested in. And of course, a lot of people took it down the path of sexy time. So they actually like disabled certain features and it went viral because there's a Reddit group that was enraged about this. But I think that we're going to see a lot of that happening, just like that Joaquin Phoenix movie, Her, a fundamental human condition is loneliness. And, you know, this can help some people find that companionship. I think that we're in the very, very early days of understanding how to ethically use AI and we're at the beginning of that journey. I think we're going to see a lot of experiments come into the fold, some which will be well-received, some which won't. But I think it goes without question that the genie is out of the bottle and AI is going to be a part of how we use the internet moving forward. Yeah, I definitely think we should be tracking this from a dating strategy. I also have disabled many features. I just want to throw that out there. But let's get to our guest, Kate Rausch, CMO of Coinbase. Avery, I know you know Kate well. What are you excited to hear from her in our conversation after the break? Super excited to hear how Kate shares her marketing journey from Web 2 to Web 3, how she leads marketing at a company like Coinbase. They've got a big job ahead of them and they've been through some choppy waters. And Kate is that type of a person with a cool head, a clear vision who can you know, steer the ship through stormy seas. So I'm really excited to hear her share what that journey has been like. Amazing. All right, guys, after the break, we will come back with Kate Roush and we'll see you soon. Web3 offers budding opportunities for brands to create more value for their customers, engage fans, and build immersive community. But that doesn't come without its risks. Chainalysis helps Fortune 500 brands better understand and manage the risks in Web3 through proactive assessments, on-chain monitoring, investigations, training, and more, so that they can focus on building a roadmap for long-term growth. Learn more about how Chainalysis can help your company grow in Web3 at chainalysis.com slash Gen C. Kate, thank you so much for joining us today on Gen C. You have had such an amazing career from scaling the meta consumer marketing team from, I think I read it was three people to 900 people and now being at Coinbase for a couple of years. So I'm super honored to have you here as a guest. Thank you so much for making the time. And I would love if you can share a little bit about yourself, a little bit about Kate Roush. Sure. Well, Avery, thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Huge fan of the pod. So excited for the conversation. As you say, I joined Facebook in, I think, 2010. And at that time, the company was around a thousand people, which I thought was huge kind of from where I was coming from. But, you know, I think when I left 11 years later, it was around almost 90,000 people. So quite a journey, really amazing experience and had the opportunity to really help build the marketing function from the ground up. I started in product marketing and then ultimately, you know, had the experience of building a variety of different teams across a variety of different brands, ultimately running brand and product marketing for all of the big apps. So WhatsApp, Instagram, Facebook itself. And then I also stood up and I think will be relevant to parts of this conversation, a public affairs marketing arm. So kind of working on some of the elite and policy communications that we did. 
Oh yeah, that sounds like that might play a huge role in what you do today. So that's a nice little deja vu. So Kate, how did you go from working at arguably one of the biggest Web2 giants into working for one of the biggest Web3 giants at Coinbase? How did you get interested in crypto? How long have you been you know, following in a part of this space? Absolutely. Well, I mean, I think there are a lot of similarities at the end of the day. So you know, always attracted to founder-led companies. I love building things. I love making things. I think it's in the DNA of so many people in this space. And what first attracted me to Meta was, and, you know, Facebook at the time, was the vision, was the focus on kind of bringing uh, new technology to, you know, communications and social media, and then ultimately across so many different industries, commerce, gaming, you know, there's really not an industry that social media hasn't touched now. But that very much wasn't the understanding of social media at the time I joined. People thought of it as a place where college students like posted pictures of their lunch. And honestly, if you at the time I joined Facebook sort of shared some of the vision of what we at the company knew we were doing, people really would have looked at you kind of quizzically and not understood what you were talking about. I really see so many of those same kind of trends where we're at the precipice of, I think, a true revolutionary disruptive technology that can modernize so many aspects, yes, of the financial system, but really across the board from, you know, obviously creator royalties. I know you guys have talked about ticketing on the podcast. There are just so many industries that can benefit from this technology. And I really saw that in crypto. I think also working for one of the big centralized Web2 giants, Some of the opportunities that, you know, crypto and Web3 offers for decentralization, privacy, portable identity systems across the web, I really got a front row seat to why those things are going to be kind of the fundamental building blocks of the next phase of the internet. You know, it feels like you were kind of pretty early in the social experience and now came in pretty early still in the crypto experience. Are there similarities that inspire you across both these sort of like innovative technologies that were both so disruptive and, you know, both when they came out, but both had the promise and still have the promise to change the world. What were you seeing that it was exciting to you as a marketer? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the big innovations of the read write web of social media is having a dialogue, you know, so it's no longer a monologue in terms of conversation and conversation in the public sphere. And really seeing what can happen when people can have access to tools that, you know, previously only elites or mediated platforms like media companies had, I think, you know, we really got a front seat to just seeing these incredible, whether it was, you know, dollars raised for different charities, kind of different causes and you know, changing the landscape of what's possible in so many different arenas. Frankly, I think Web3 takes that to the very next level. And it actually helps incentivize people and share the benefits of the value that they're creating in the world by participating. And so I think that co-creation is at the heart of the innovation of Web2 and is even further amplified with the possibilities of Web3. And and that's the thing that I'm most excited about, I think, of all. 
That's so well articulated, Kate. And it makes complete sense that natural transition as the internet evolves, so does your career. And you know, you and I have spoken about the sort of also evolution of Web3 marketing and the way that's communicated. And, you know, I'd argue that no one has done a more professional job building a brand in this, you know, crypto space than Coinbase. And in fact, you all launched a very famous commercial last year during the Super Bowl, went viral, the QR code, who could forget it? Can you share a little bit about that idea, how it came to fruition? And the real question CMOs always have to answer, did it work? <laughs> sure. So taking us back. So that was about two months after I started, maybe three. And it was actually the first national ad that Coinbase had ever run. So let alone the first Super Bowl ad, the first ad, period. <laughs> um, so definitely a high stakes moment for the company. As you guys know, you know, we were one of, I think, eight crypto advertisers in that game. And you know, I think there was a lot of path of least resistance would have been to do kind of like a big celeb studded activation. And that's what we are seeing kind of a lot of not just crypto brands, but that's just a kind of a Super Bowl formula, right? It's humor, it's celeb, etc. But as we know, being in Web3, like, there is nowhere that authenticity matters more than in brands where you're interacting in such a deep way with your community. We can't be a different brand in mass channels than we are with our kind of core crypto native constituent. And our executive team is very, very clear on that. What is our DNA? Who are we, et cetera. So, you know, as a new CMO, I think I initially brought work to the table that was more traditional. And to the credit of the company, it was good work. Like, it's the kind of work that's not going to get you fired. You know, great creative executions, really talented people that were, would have like worked on and produced that work. But it just wasn't what Coinbase was going to do. So we actually had to go back to the drawing board really, you know, right before the game, I, like weeks before we did not have an idea that was going to go. So it was um, definitely it was feeling the burn there for sure. And we came up with this idea. And what we really wanted to do was kind of take internet culture to a different channel. And I think really thinking about Web3 tools as a way to meet our customers where they are and combine, because like they're not just watching linear TV. They're not just on YouTube. They're not, you know, just in Discord. They're across all these channels. And so I think kind of teasing for people this inside knowledge of, you know, because the QR code was bouncing around in a meme from the office, which is pretty internet native. Like not everybody watching the Super Bowl is going to know that, but everybody watching the Super Bowl went through COVID and understands how a QR code works. And so I think trying to marry things that mass audiences would be delighted by and understand with kind of an Easter egg for the core community is really what kind of unlocked the magic there. I think we're also willing to really take a risk and fail, which is an important message, I think, for advertisers dipping their toes into Web3, but also just kind of into traditional channels of like, that was not guaranteed to work at all. But I think being willing to take the swing is what ultimately let us do something really interesting. Wasn't guaranteed to work, but it did, is what I'm hearing. It did work, yes. I feel like I remember stories of the site going down 
and you guys got so much traffic. But I also think there's such a key lesson for marketers, which is having something that sort of is a zig to a zag is what makes you stand out. And to your point, we had like the Matt Damon commercial. We had the Larry David commercial. There was a lot of big, like, let's throw a ton of money at personalities, which is such a Super Bowl trope. And I think you guys stood out so much because it was so anti what every other commercial was there, which I think is just such a good lesson. Because even now, I think we at Coindesk work with most of the big brands that come out of the crypto space specifically. And it's so interesting to see as they evolve, because a lot of them are these deep engineer like types and very big brain tokenomics thinkers, but they don't understand that marketing is a, you know, an emotional game and that standing out is not something that's easy. You know, you guys were able, I think, to the action of getting someone to take their phone out because they thought they would miss out on something is like there's a reward mechanism there that people don't understand how valuable that is. Yeah. And it was, I would say, successful kind of beyond our wildest expectations. You know, I think 20 million people visited the site in the first 60 seconds that the ad ran. We went from 186 in the app store to number two. And I think got, you know, hundreds of thousands of new signups all the way through, you know, kind of our KYC flows, et cetera. So it was for sure a um, very successful activation for us. I mean, not to mention the earned media, because you guys were talked about so much afterwards that that was a, a big moment. Yeah, that was an incredible moment. You know, everybody around me was like, ah, what is this QR code, um, which was <laughs> hilarious to see. So Kate, you know, that was almost 18 months ago now. How has the world of marketing evolved since then? How has, you know, your role as a CMO evolved since then? A lot has happened since that Super Bowl commercial hit the airwaves. Yeah. So listen, I mean, <laughs> a lot has changed since then. I think almost immediately after that ad ran, because that was last February or February of 22. Yeah. And, um, the Fed started like raising rates and realized that kind of inflation was not transitory. We started to see, you know, a big change in the crypto market. Some of the implosions of the last, you know, year and a half began. And, you know, the market really, really changed. It changed in tech overall. And we're sort of all, I think, seeing the cascade of that. While very painful, I think it's been also a very healthy back to the basics time for crypto. I think we've all had to focus on really the core of making our case to the consumer, to various audiences. And how we're really thinking about that is at the highest level, our brief needs to be about why crypto. So, you know, Sam, you were talking about there are so many amazing technical minds in the space. And I think there can be so much excitement about the tech itself that there can be a tendency to start with the look at all the cool things you can do and the sort of how. But what I think our core point of view and insight over the last year has been is we actually need to help people understand why. Why should they care about this technology? Why should they even think about this as something beyond a speculative asset class? Like, why does this matter? And so that's really what we've been trying to focus on. We've all seen 2023 be super volatile, right? We had Three Arrows, we had Voyager last year at FTX. And I think this year has reset. I think there's a lot of people who are very hopeful now that there is an opportunity to tell a better story because that speculative layer may be pulled back a bit. 
But you guys also are like, you're kind of doing the hard work, right? You guys are talking to Washington. You're like helping to convince people that like, this is legit stuff and you should take it seriously. You're working on everything from security to like how people should approach assets. And I know you guys do a ton of learn content. So who do you think are the audiences that you're trying to kind of influence to consider crypto? Because we all believe in it, like we're here. But I think there's still a lot of people who felt a little burned by what happened last year. What's the way you approach that? So again, I think what we've tried to do is take a big zoom out. And at the highest level, what we believe and have found through a variety of kind of research and studies is that the majority of Americans are not satisfied with the financial system. And there are a lot of reasons that they point to, you know, access, bias, fees, how costly it is to use their own money. There are a lot of areas that are just simply not working for people. I think above and beyond that, we really see this increased pessimism about the future. So there was a recent study in the Wall Street Journal. It was a collaboration between the Journal and UChicago. And it's a poll they've been running for something like 30 years. And um, it's kind of about overall economic sentiment. And this year, for the first year, something like 70% of Americans answered the question, you know, do you think your children will be better off than you? negatively, like that 70% of the American public think their children will be worse off than they are. And so we really take that as an inspiration for what crypto is fundamentally about. You know, I think there is a fundamental promise of an ability to help modernize this system that people do understand needs to change. And so You know, I think it's really talking to the broad American public at that level to help them understand, listen, this is a helper technology that can ease pain points that you feel and that can create kind of a faster, cheaper, more accessible system that can also create opportunity and jobs and economic growth like many of the kind of the internet ecosystem in the last, whatever, 20 years has done. So that's really the case we're trying to make. It's a case for the industry versus Coinbase specifically. And that's a huge job to do. And you're leading all of those communications, which are so important, not just for Coinbase specifically, but for the whole industry and the community in the sort of world of crypto and Web3 more broadly. So, Kate, I want to switch gears a little bit because most folks listening to this will know Coinbase as a crypto exchange where you can buy, sell, trade crypto, but you all actually do so much more and your business is diversified in all these different ways. You recently announced a new product that will allow brands to build their own Web3 wallets dubbed Coinbase WAS or Wallet as a Service. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Because many of our listeners are on the brand side or marketing side. And I think this particular product is very relevant for many of the organizations that they represent. Yeah, of course. So one of the goals that Coinbase has always had is to abstract away the complexity of crypto and provide really easy to use, simple tools to kind of enter the Web3 ecosystem. And we have a long track record of doing that with a consumer audience. We also have a lot of tools, and this is something people don't know as much about our business, to frankly serve traditional finance and Wall Street. Many of the biggest companies and financial institutions in the world are clients of Coinbase with our institutional business. And so 
as we sort of have experience in bringing people into Web3 with really simple, easy to use tools, we really had this insight and have seen there are so many big brands that really want to bring and kind of leverage Web3 as a tool to build their brands and to achieve their kind of marketing objectives. You know, the technology can be daunting for people. They also need, frankly, not to have to be crypto experts to get into the space. And so it's sort of with those insights in mind that we created while it is a service. The idea is really, it's a plug and play API. I mean, you know, we, we have some work to do. We're not yet at general availability, but so brands can really easily create their own wallets. This is not a Coinbase branded experience. So if you are, you know, X brand and you want to integrate NFTs into your marketing efforts, you can actually build this wallet into your own proprietary ecosystem in a way that will be totally seamless for the customer. So they would just be interacting with your ecosystem with Coinbase kind of powering the specific tech that allows you know you to actually provide NFTs as an example as part of your activation. Avery and I talk consistently about whether brands should have their own wallets, whether they should be using third-party wallets, the kind of idea of how do we make the UX easier? That's something we've all been trying to do. You know, I remember being in crypto in 2014 and 15, where it was so hard to get Bitcoin or Ethereum into a wallet. And then my first main purchases were on Coinbase because like you guys had figured that out. Is there a way in which you guys are trying to talk to brands? to say, hey, like, you know, like the water's okay. Like we'll help you through with this. And is that receptive as a message? Or is there still a little hesitation because of other issues going on in either Web3 or because they're not focused on AI? Like, what are you seeing the adoption cycle looking like? Yeah, so it's interesting. I mean, nothing, you know, specific to share yet. We are seeing actually a huge amount of interest in large global brand advertisers They've been looking for these kinds of solutions, and we have a lot of very active discussions going. You know, advertisers are at this level are extremely sophisticated, and they understand how the dynamics of the global advertising market are changing, right? You have ATT and some of the changes in the digital advertising ecosystem, changing the efficacy of, frankly, spending in digital ads. You have, you know, younger demos of consumers not consuming media on the same channels or advertising in the same kind of linear formats, you know, cord cutting, et cetera. I would say we're definitely early. And I think, as you guys know, there's work to do to move these activations beyond kind of toys to programmatic things that actually move people's business forward, like we're seeing with Nike or a Starbucks or, you know, many of the other companies that you guys have talked to on this podcast. But the interest has really surprised me, frankly, in this market. All these companies have teams focused on this. As a follow-up to that, Kate, I mean, you know, we're in this every day working with Fortune 500 brands on Web3 strategies and sort of innovation more broadly. And I think you're exactly right. There's a lot of curiosity. There's a lot of wanting to learn, wanting to listen, wanting to find the right ways to move conversations around Web3 and innovation from being a standalone initiative to part of an integrating marketing mix. And you do that every day, right? Like in your role as a CMO, you're doing TVCs, you're doing social, like your team is doing 
all different sort of formats from above the line to NBA to, of course, web free marketing. And I know you all have done an incredible job getting the community excited around products like Base. Can you speak a little bit about sort of your experience as a Web3 marketer? Yes. Well, I mean, at first, I would say the community has been amazing and very generous as I have kind of gone through the rabbit hole there. I did not start out as a Web3 native myself or a crypto native. And I think really that that's been part of it. You know, like someone gifted me my ETH address, just a random member of the community. I think that generous spirit and spirit of co-creation is just core to what Web3 is actually about. And so that's really made my job easier and more fun. So just a big shout out and thanks to everyone in the community that's helped. You know, I think what you said is absolutely right, Avery, where you know, Web3 is part of our marketing mix. On-chain is part of our marketing mix. It's not a standalone activation. It's part of what we're trying to do overall. And I really increasingly think just like social before it or digital, you know, where they had, it sort of started out for a lot of brands as this experimental little thing over to the side. And then over time became really a core part of any campaign that a big brand was going to activate. And I'm very hopeful and kind of confident that that's what we will see in an evolution with Web3 marketing. You know, for us, we do have, you know, multiple parts of our campaigns, including on-chain. I will say some of the on-chain activations just continue to like blow me away in terms of just engagement and bang for your buck, frankly. <laughs> I know that's maybe a crude way to say it, but you know, when we launched Base, which is an L2, and we did a campaign that kind of centered on an open edition NFT mint in partnership with Zora, which is a very Web3 native kind of pioneering company. And saw that, you know, in the first, I think it was like four days, we had 500,000 mints of this NFT, which then generated over 600 million social impressions in the first week that we put this out in the world, literally for no money. And as a marketer, I mean, you just don't see that kind of engagement. And that passion and just intensity in the community, I think is, it's like lightning in a bottle. And I think it's just something that is impossible to ignore as a marketer. And Kate, I want to dive into that because I talk a lot about this and I learned so much from Avery in this conversation about thinking of classic marketing funnel strategies. And to your point, it's like you now have 500,000 people who have some asset that you can sort of understand their behaviors from whatever's on chain and it's transparent. But also you can then start to reward them and create surprise and delight, create additive experiences. I know you guys are doing something, I think at EDC in Vegas, where if you have the base NFT, you get to get into a special area to watch like a show. And to me, that's the thing I don't think every marketer in a Web2 company gets, which is you've created something that's in someone's wallet so they feel like they have an ownership. You've given them the agency to say, I can keep it, I can sell it. But you've also then said by holding it, there's a rewarding nature. And we've seen now Nike has done this and Adidas has done this and Starbucks has done this and you guys have done it. And I don't think people get the power of what it means to have 500,000 loyal fans. And maybe they came in because they thought they were going to make money. Like, that's fine. But you then get to say and redefine what that relationship is. Is that part of the big unlock of what Web3 helps for mainstream brands? Yeah, I mean, listen, I think that loyalty and actually, you know, I always use this example, maybe it's imperfect, but to try to help, you know, folks at traditional marketing agencies, et cetera, understand like, what are we talking about? 
So obviously you used to work at Meta and was a very avid Instagram user on multiple times a day, et cetera. My husband, much less so, right? So he's probably interacts with Instagram like once every six months. There's literally no way as a marketer, like I'm not treated any differently than my husband. What these tools allow you to do to your exact point is to let people opt in to say, I'm really passionate about what you're doing. I want to be more engaged with your brand. And then to surprise and delight them across many different touch points and channels. And so to the example that you're using, we actually have a variety of different NFTs and they're open edition, right? So they're not it really kind of tamps down that speculative, like you're going to try to trade it or make money off it and really gets people that are just interested in being part of the community and participating. And that allows you to really provide value add for them across a variety of different experiences that your brand is running. Like you mentioned, our sort of token gated experience at EDC, where depending on the number of actions you've taken with our brand, like if you hold multiple NFTs, you actually get an even more upgraded experience, et cetera. And we talked about this time and time again, that interoperability shouldn't only be about technology, but about community and the opportunity to say, to your point, hey, could we reward your audience just because they hold that? Like, how cool is that? And I don't think people still get it. To me, like I get so jazzed about that. You get the opportunity to say, oh, I can see on chain who has this and I can create something that if they like it, they come over. But just by holding something, you're being rewarded. And I think it's such a special opportunity for marketers. So Kate, thank you so much for taking the time to share your journey in the world of marketing and you know your first almost two years at Coinbase where you've accomplished so much in such a short period. We're very much looking forward to you know continuing to cheer Coinbase on and appreciate you taking this hour to be with us. It's my pleasure. Thank you, Kate. Avery. That conversation with Kate was great. What were your like key takeaways? I know you guys work with Coinbase as well. So I think you have a little more insight than most people on the work that they're doing. What were your thoughts? For one, I think Kate is an incredible marketer and leader. And hear about how she's thinking about building their brand holistically with Web3 as one of those channels, because of course their audience naturally gets this stuff a million times more than if you're working at a CPG company or a bank or you know a fashion retailer, but they still need to appeal to normal people too. So hearing how Kate's bridging those things together was great. I think for me, there was two things that were interesting. One is, you know, and I didn't get to ask this question because I don't think there's an answer yet, but I was thinking about that. There was that moment when Facebook released that function or the feature where you saw the like thumb up on every piece of content around the web and it would automatically publish back to your newsfeed and like the explosion of virality that happened there, that was both product and marketing genius in the same time. Like, do we think that crypto will have a moment? Like, I don't know, NFTs started to be that in 21, crypto and Bitcoin started, you know, in maybe 2018. I still don't think we've had that moment where it truly catches fire in a mass way. No, we haven't. The only killer use case we've seen to date is Bitcoin. And I know Coinbase, we didn't talk about this with Kate, but I know they're expanding dramatically into international markets. And I think for me, that's such an immediate, very clear use case is emerging markets. The dollars are so much smaller, but the use case is so much more clear. In the US, yes, people, consumers have negative perceptions around the financial system, but at the end of the day, it still works. We still have relatively stable currency. It's you know worse than it's been in the past, but it's not disastrous where I think in a lot of emerging markets, it's just such a clear present opportunity, not in the future, but literally in the today. 
So I'm very interested to see how that space continues to grow. And maybe that's the catalyst that brings broader adoption to the Western world. Yeah, I was at an event earlier this week where someone mentioned that still only 10% of Africa is online. And so when you think of the 90% that's going to come, and then you think of countries like India, like there is such a vast market that crypto makes so much sense for. If we can figure out to minimize these pain points and to sort of ensure the fees are really low, it really, it can transform entire countries in that way, which is such an exciting moment. I was also reading this stat recently that 70% of sub-Saharan Africans are under the age of 30. So like this is an entire generation of Gen C because they haven't grown up with the traditional entrenched financial system. They're growing up now and they're young and they're going to need a new updated financial system and they've never had checkbooks or debit cards or banks the way that we grew up with. Um, so yeah, we should, we should bring on a guest who has experience in that topic. Absolutely. All right, and with that, I know you are in Indianapolis right now about to rock VCon. So we're going to let you go and do that. But thank you. And why don't you wrap it up for us? Awesome. Well, thank you, everyone, for listening to Gen C. Today, we had an incredible guest in Kate Roush, the CMO of Coinbase. Go check her out. Follow her on social. She's always dropping some gems. Go follow along what Coinbase is doing if you're not already. We, as always, appreciate any questions, comments, feedback, and hope to catch many of y'all this weekend at VCon. 